right. So good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to the well here at SCSA. I hope everyone is in the Christmas spirit, okay, excited, Christ singing Christmas carols at home, doing all that fun stuff. Um, in celebration of the Christmas season and the Christmas spirit, over the next two weeks, we're going to be going through the series called The Perfect Gift, The Perfect Gift. Um, and as you know, uh, if you're like me and, and you've you know, lived in this country for the majority of your life or you were born here or whatever, the Christmas season has become all about gift giving. Okay, so we just, our host just mentioned all about the, this idea of gift giving and how do we find the perfect gift for, for somebody I love? How, how do I accomplish that? Buying gifts has become like the, the, like all the Christmas season is all about. And not necessarily always in a bad way. Sometimes it's in a bad way. But that's what, that's what the season has become all about. And did you know, I was doing some research. I was curious. I was curious. I was doing some research. Did you know that the National Retail Federation, which I didn't even know was a thing, but the National Retail Federation expects holiday spending for 2020 to increase from last year. And usually I would say, that's normal. That makes sense. That's logical. But it's 2020, like pandemic year 2020. I didn't expect that. So I thought to myself, okay, fine. Spending is going to go up. People are generous. Christmas spirit, you know, holidays, all that is good stuff. How much do we spend on holiday spending in general as a country? What would you say? Like, I was saying to myself, maybe it's like, is it like a million dollars? Is it $10 million? A hundred, I see some thumbs up going this way. $100 million? In the billions, okay. What, like a billion? Five billion? Ten billion would be huge. How about... $760 billion in holiday spending in this country. And what that tells us, besides terrible finances, what that tells us is that clearly we care a lot about getting gifts. We care a lot about getting gifts. And we care a lot about providing that perfect gift for the people that we love. Now, I'll be honest with you, and you can ask my wife this. This is one of my weakest points as a husband. <laughs> I stink at gifts. I am like, if there was a competition about who is the worst at giving gifts, that is me. I am terrible at giving gifts and I'm even worse at receiving them. Because to me, like, I'm, you don't show appreciation to me by getting me a gift. That like, doesn't mean anything to me. So I'm not good at this gift stuff. And I'm, I think it's just the way that God made me maybe. So, you know, I, I think what I tell her and what I tell everyone um, is that I'm just too practical. I'm too practical for gifts. Some people will say, I would say practical. Some people will say cheap, tomato, tomato, like call it whatever you want. Um, but gifts have never really been my thing. So I thought to myself, I want to provide the perfect gift for our congregation here. We're going to go through a set of criteria, okay, about how to provide the perfect gift to your loved one. So everyone listen up. If you're like me and you're terrible at gift giving, we're going to go through a set of criteria about how to provide the perfect gift and I see all the husbands awake all of a sudden, okay? Because, you know, like, for some reason, the men, again, not our strong suit in this area, okay? So, with that, criteria number one. The gift should reflect the one who gives it. This is just the first criteria. Very simple. The gift should reflect the one who gives it. What does that mean? This especially applies to the people that you're closest with. If I'm getting my wife a gift, she doesn't want to think that I just Googled gifts for wife and the very first one i clicked on and i ordered on amazon that doesn't show like i put any thought into it whatsoever now that is maybe the way we do some of our gift shopping okay but it has to reflect the giver it has to reflect me 
If I went online, let's say, for example, and I got my wife an Amazon gift card, okay? How do you think that gift would be received? I said, honey, I love you so much. I found something so precious. Here's a $50 Amazon gift card. How do you think she would react to that for Christmas? I, I see the women just be like, oh, why? Why is he doing this to us? An Amazon gift card for your wife means nothing. It shows that any, any person can get your wife an Amazon gift card. That's not from her husband. She wants something from, the, like it has to reflect the giver. It wouldn't make any sense. It doesn't show any personality. There's no reflection on me if I get her an Amazon gift card. But we would be foolish to stop at this criteria. Okay, this is just the first criteria. So it has to reflect the giver. Okay, it has to reflect the giver. The second criteria also has to be about the recipient, right? The person receiving the gift. So the gift should reflect knowledge of the one who receives it. Again, if I go and I, I get my wife a basketball, let's say. Okay, I'm, I said, honey, I love you so much. I found the best, best, best basketball. Like, this is like my favorite basketball of all time, and I'm getting it for you. You know how sometimes we give gifts to people because we want to use the thing? Like, I try to pull that move. That would never work. Because it shows, again, that I don't care about her. I'm just trying to get something for me. So the gift has to reflect knowledge of the one who receives it. It also has to be useful for the person. Like, it doesn't make sense to get her something that's not useful. Um, to use another example, if, if I was buying someone a gift, um, I, I teased this earlier, okay? So as many of you know, uh, my daughter now is, which is even weird to say out loud, my daughter is now six weeks old today. Six weeks old today, okay? This is baby Eliora, all right? Baby Ellie. oh, I know she's, I'm already using her for the ministry, by the way. You guys think I'm doing this to be cute? Like, no, this is for the purpose of the ministry, all right? Baby Ellie, baby Eliora, okay? What would happen if I went and I said, honey, we're going to get baby Ellie the best gift ever. I'm going to get her. I'm going to splurge this year. I'm going to get her an iPad. I'm going to get her an iPad. No, no, no. Forget the iPad. I'm going to get her an iPad and an iPhone and a big screen TV. Look at her. Does that look like somebody that's going to use an iPad? All she's doing right now is sleeping, eating, and pooping and in no specific order. Okay? Like she's, she's living her best life. She doesn't need an iPad. Okay? In other words, if the gift isn't useful to the recipient... It's not a good gift. It's definitely not the perfect gift, and it's for sure not a good gift. So, if you're with me so far, the gift has to reflect the giver. It has to reflect the recipient, right? It has to be useful for the recipient. The third criteria, and this is probably the hardest one. The gift should be of a nature and quality that is timeless. This is the hardest one, okay? But think about it. If I'm buying someone something, it doesn't make sense to buy them something so cheap that it's going to be destroyed the next day. Like if I buy, let's say, a, a t-shirt, and you put it one time in the washer and everything fades away from the t-shirt, clearly I didn't spend enough money on that t-shirt. It's a useless gift. It doesn't make sense to be wasteful in that way and to just buy a gift that's not going to last. What we really want is a gift that lasts a really long time. And if it was perfect, perfect, it would be timeless, timeless in nature. And at this point... Men in the room are probably thinking to themselves, I thought you were supposed to help us today. And this is not the way to do it, right? I give you a set of criteria that's really, really hard. Really hard. This is a tall order. It has, to be, it has to reflect the giver. It has to be useful to the recipient. And the hardest one right here, it has to be like a, a timeless gift. This is a very difficult gift. Lucky for you, today we're not going to talk about you buying a gift for anyone else. And this is where everyone should cheer, okay? Enough gift buying, all right? We... You're, if you're part of that 760 billion, like I'm sure we all are, we're not we're worrying about who we're buying gifts for today. Today, what we're going to talk about 
is how we don't need to worry about buying that perfect gift. We've actually already received it. We already received the perfect gift. There's only one perfect gift. Nothing you can do could actually encompass anything close to this. And that perfect gift was when God the Father gave us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When God the Father wanted to express his love for us, he created us. He placed us in the paradise of joy, like we say in the divine liturgy. He created everything for us. And he said, you're my most precious, precious creation. And he gave, and he gave, and he gave. And then we went away. We got deceived, and we, we, we fell. And then he continued to give. He gave us prophets. He gave us people to bring us back to God. And then God said, I have one more gift I want to give them. The perfect, perfect, perfect gift. And that was himself. The gift of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And I want to take some time today, based on the criteria we just discussed, to really think through how is it that Jesus is the perfect gift, right? We talked about it has to reflect the giver, it has to make sense to the recipient, and it has to be a nature, it has to be timeless. The gift has to be timeless. And I know when I say Jesus is the perfect gift, we're all like, yeah, 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 we heard of this before. But I want us to really focus on it and meditate on it. Okay, so we're going to start with criteria number one, right? The gift should reflect the giver. So Jesus Christ is an exact reflection of God the Father. Jesus Christ is an exact reflection of God the Father. And why this is so important and so imperative, especially to our faith as Orthodox Christians, is that a lot of times we want to separate the God of the Old Testament to God of the New Testament. We see things in the Old Testament we don't quite understand, and written in times that we don't quite get, and we want to separate. We want to say, no, no, God of the Old Testament was this way, but then Jesus came, and Jesus was much more kind, Jesus was nice, Jesus was gentle, but God of the Old Testament, that God was, was wrathful and like all this crazy stuff. Jesus Christ, when he came on this earth, he was a perfect and exact reflection of who God the Father has always been. There is no separation of God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. This is what St. Paul says in Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory, and listen to this, the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what we learn, oops, sorry, what we learn is that Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God the Father. There's no other way we could have received an expression that is bigger, that would have made us understand God the Father more than Jesus Christ himself. And what we learned about God the Father was so many things. We learned that God the Father was a humble God. God, when Jesus Christ came, he wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born uh, in, in royalty. He was born to a poor Jewish family in a manger. Like, that's the lowest of the low. How many people here are born in a manger? Anybody? Any, like, that's the lowest of the low. He came not to seek his own glory, again in his humility, but he came to glorify humanity, to bring them up. He taught us that God the Father was loving, that there was nothing he wouldn't do for his children. God the Father was perfectly loving. There was nothing he wouldn't do for his children. He showed us that he was gentle, that he was meek when he came to this earth. But he also showed us that he was extremely powerful, that he wasn't just a, a God that, that, you know, that was meek and gentle, but he had authority. And when he spoke, people listened. People said, wow, what kind of authority does this man speak with? 
He showed us that he was the healer of not just our bodies, but our souls. We think of examples and miracles that Jesus did. And we think of like, you know, how he healed the paralytic man and all that. And all that stuff is great. But he also healed souls. Think of the Samaritan woman. Think of, uh, of, you know, the tax collectors and things like that. So Jesus came not just to heal bodies, but to heal souls. And he, of course, was sacrificial. He's the, the perfect sacrifice. And he's life-giving. And we say that also about the Holy Spirit and really the, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, life-giving. He gave us new life through his cross and resurrection and by sending us his Holy Spirit. And the list goes on and on and on and on of the things that we learned by Jesus Christ about who God the Father was or is. In essence, we learn the beauty and depth of God, of God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so that, that's the, the very first thing is that he is the perfect reflection, perfect reflection and exact imprint of God, as, as St. Paul says. Criteria number two. Okay, so we said first criteria is it has to reflect the giver, right? Second criteria, it has to reflect the knowledge of the one who receives it. Who received this perfect gift? Who received the perfect gift? Humanity. Us, right? And God knows our needs intimately. Okay, so it, the reason that this, this reflected, what he did reflected our, our greatest need is because he loves us so much and he knows us so intimately, he knows exactly, exactly what we require. And if I was to sum it all up, we needed healing, we needed salvation, I could have written a million things here. But if I wanted to sum it up, God meets our greatest need, which is to be enlightened. To be enlightened. And what does that mean? God didn't just, he didn't meet our need at one point in time, which we like to think. Like when we think of the story of salvation, we think, okay, Jesus came down, he, he lived his life, he healed people, he was crucified, he rose from the dead, ascended to the heaven, sent us the Holy Spirit, gave us the church, and that's the end. But no, notice that I wrote, he meets our greatest need, which is to be enlightened. We are in a constant need to be enlightened. It's a journey. It's a spiritual journey. Being enlightened by definition is light casts out all forms of darkness. Light casts out all forms of darkness. So when God met us and he wanted to make sure that we were enlightened, he wanted to cast out all forms of darkness. So darkness took various, there was various mutations of darkness. Okay. Darkness was death. Darkness, sickness. Darkness polluted thoughts and minds. And he came to heal all of that. The reality is that there's always going to be darkness in the world. And that darkness in the world wants to penetrate our hearts, our minds. So we're always in this, we're always in this great uh, need to be enlightened. And we know that Christ is the true light. And he's at work, and he always has been. Uh, one of, actually, uh, I showed you guys pictures of, of my daughter um, a few minutes ago, and um, her name actually means God is my light. God is my light. Eliora means God is my light. It comes from Psalm 27, okay? The Lord is my light and my salvation. So the Lord is my light or God is my light. And when Sherry and I were, were looking at names and stuff, uh, to me, this was for God to be my light. That's my goal for her. That's my goal for me. That's my goal for all of us. That God is truly our light. And we say that when God is our light, that we're not confused. A light shows us the path. A light clears our minds, takes away anything that's darkness that's inside of us. A light shows us how, how to live. It, he's a guide for us. God is my light, is our greatest need and should be our greatest desire always. It should be on our forefront. Okay, so God met our greatest need, which is to be enlightened. There's a, a liturgy in, in the same basal liturgy that we pray. One of my favorite prayers um, is what we say right here is where we say, holy, 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 truly, O Lord. This is a priest part. 
our God who formed us, created us, and placed us in the paradise of joy. When we disobeyed your commandment by the deception of the serpent, we disobeyed by the deception of the serpent, we fell from eternal life and were exiled from the paradise of joy. If the prayer ended there, it looks awful. It looks terrible. It's so bleak. It's almost as if there's just no hope. It looks like darkness had won. It truly does. It looked like darkness had won. And if you read the Old Testament, it consistently looks like darkness is winning until when people repent and God intervenes again. No one would fault God if at this moment he said, I gave you everything. I created you. I gave you the paradise. I, like, I, I gave you the breath of life. I gave you the, the earth to, to rule over, to, to have a dominion over, but to also take care of. No one would fault God if we looked at it and if he said, you know what? I tried everything. I, tr I tried to give you guys the best of the best. Sorry, it didn't work out. Good luck. No one would fault God. Like we now have this expectation that no God meets, meets our needs. But he already did when he created us. He created us in a perfect way. And when he created us, he said everything was good. Everything was great. No one would fault God if the story had ended there. But as we know, it doesn't. And the priest continues. This is my favorite part of the prayer. You have not abandoned us to the end. Unto the end. God never abandons us. Even when on the surface, any objective reader would say, Lord, you should. Like, enough is enough. We're crazy. But God never abandons us. But you have always visited us through your holy prophets. And in the last days, you did manifest yourself to us who were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Through your only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Humanity, us, we're sitting in darkness. We're sitting with no direction. We're sitting with no true understanding of who God was. We had no source of light in our lives. As Jesus says, in, in, when he was on earth, he said, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. They don't have anyone to guide them. There's no guidance. But God refuses to abandon us. That's just in his nature. He's the giver. Again, a reflection. Jesus is a reflection of God the Father. And if you wanted to kind of understand the heart of God, he never abandons us, no matter what we do. And God kept trying. Kept trying to reach us. Kept trying to, to, to send people to us, to send prophets, to send people our way to help us. And in the end, he said, enough is enough. When you want a job done right, you do it yourself. Enough is enough. This is crazy. And God gave us the light of the world, the true light. But what I want us to understand is Jesus being the true light isn't just he did something at one point in time, especially in like our, our orthodox understanding of like salvation. God didn't come down to just say, okay, now you, you say you believe, you say a prayer and like you're done. No, no, no. God works in our lives continuously. and He's working now. St. Paul in Ephesians says it this way. He says, for once you were in darkness. No, no. He says, for once you were darkness. That's bleak. For once you were darkness. But now in the Lord you are in light. No. Now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. This is a bold statement. Not only did God come as light, and we say Jesus is the light of the world, but then Jesus turns around and says, actually, you're the light of the world. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But the point here is we were once in darkness. We are no longer in darkness. 
If you are sitting here with me today or you were here earlier in the liturgy, you are no longer in darkness. We want to think that we're in darkness. We're not in darkness. God has come and he has shattered that once and for all. But we have to persist in living in light. We can't just stop there and say, you know what? God has done all this stuff for us and we're done. Again, Jesus tells them this very mentality, to have that very mentality. When he says in John, in the Gospel of St. John, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see what Jesus is saying? Being in the light, being in the presence of God is not a one-time decision. It's a lifelong journey. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, that's an active thing. That's a, like, that, that's a continuous thing. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christianity is not a story. I know sometimes we, we treat it as like it's like a story that we tell. Christianity is not a story. It's a life lived. Christianity is not a story. It's a life lived. We're in constant need of following him. We're in constant need of being enlightened and staying close to him because he's our light and he's the one that casts out all darkness. And before I move on to the next point, uh, this point especially, when we talk about darkness, I feel like especially now in this year, in 2020, we have experienced a lot. Uh, as you know, uh, humanity has experienced a lot. Um, and people have had really difficult times. But what I want to say is that it looks bleak sometimes. Our lives look bleak. Sometimes the world out there looks bleak. The news looks bleak. It looks like darkness, darkness, darkness. But as children of God, as, as children of God, we have to be better. We have to be the light. How? Like Jesus came and he's the light of the world. And he says, if you walk with me, there's no darkness. And St. Paul earlier told us, you were, once in, you were once darkness and now you are light. If me and you are light, we have to be better. We have to be the ones that are encouraging. We have to be the ones that are showing people that there is light, that there is hope, that there's more than just meets the eye when we look at the circumstances outside. So you guys remember, Say it with me, the, the first two criteria. It ha- the gift has to what? The perfect gift has to reflect the giver, right? What was the second one? It has to reflect who? The recipient, okay? So we said God the Father was the giver, and the recipients are us. The third criteria, as you may remember, and I said this is the hardest one, the gift should be of a nature and quality that is timeless. No matter what gifts you buy during the Christmas season, at some point, it's worthless. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to burst the bubble. I know I'm not the gift guy. You might not believe me. Look, what gift are you going to buy that's going to be timeless? What gift are you going to buy? It could maybe hold sentimental value or something like that. You're probably better off husbands going the sentimental route, okay? But Jesus, of course, when he comes down, we know that he is timeless and he's the most precious gift ever. But what I want to say here is not just Jesus is timeless. That would be easy. Jesus is timeless and we all believe that. We would say, yes, amen. We believe that. His promises remain true forever. His promises remain true forever. All of God's promises, no matter how crazy they may seem in the moment, are true forever because he is true. And everything within us wants to resist believing those promises, but we have to come back to this. If I say that Jesus is eternal, if I say that Jesus is the truth, then so are his promises. So when I feel abandoned, when I feel lost, if I feel abandoned, I remember what we just said about the liturgy three seconds ago. 
You have never, God never abandons us. He can't. That's not in his nature. If I feel lost, I remember that Jesus told us that he's the way and the truth and the life. How am I going to be lost when I know the way? He is the way. If I feel too far gone, and this is to anyone who feels like, you know what? I've just gone too far. I'm too far gone. I'm too lost. I'm too far from God. Jesus reminds us when he says, no one can snatch you out of my father's hand. Right? Doesn't Jesus say that? No one can snatch you out of his hand. If you want to be with God, and if you want to live a life with God, a life full of light, there's always a place for you. And I know that seems too simple. I know sometimes we don't believe it because it sounds too easy. But that's Christianity 101. If we really want to understand the heart of God, this is it. It's for us to stick to his promises and to stick to him. And he is our light and he shows us the way out of darkness. And you don't have to believe me about his promises. There have been many things written about how the promises of God are faithful because he is faithful. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians says the following. He says, for in him... Every one of God's promises is a yes. Okay? So he's talking about him being Christ. Because of Christ, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen. Amen just means I believe to the glory of God. This is kind of a confusing verse, but what St. Paul is saying there is, there are so many promises of God, so many that we can't even begin to understand or fathom, so many that we can't you know, even count. But what St. Paul is saying is that Christ is the fulfillment of all these promises. Or in other words, the gift of Christ, the perfect gift that we have received, perfect gift, which is Christ, is our proof that God's promises never fail. St. John Chrysostom, um, uh, church, an early church father, in his commentary on this passage by St. Paul says the following. He says, Paul's preaching promised many things. He talked about being raised to life again and of being taken up into heaven he talked about incorruption. He talked about those great rewards which awaited them. And these promises abide unchanging. They are always true. I want to say those last two things together. These promises are abide unchanging. And they are always true together. Ready? These promises abide unchanging. They are always true. If there's one thing that I would love to continue to preach on without people getting bored out of their minds. It's this. Sometimes I feel like we get lost in our minds and lost in our heads. And we think, no, I don't know if this is right. If this is what God's promises are always true. And sometimes I want to like shake somebody in front of me and say, God's promises are always true. Why can't you get that through your head? But I'm too far gone. I'm too God's promises are always true. You're not a unique situation. God's promises are always true. So if we know that we have received the perfect gift and that he's our light. He, he meets our greatest need. What I am begging you as, as like a, as, as your spiritual father, I'm begging you is this to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful. The year is coming to a close 2020 is coming to a close and I believe this should sum up the attitude of the children of God, that we are holding fast to the promises of God. We are not letting anything get in the way. We're holding fast. We're holding tight. We're not letting go. We're not wavering. No matter how my personal life may seem, there's some darkness in there. No matter how my spiritual struggles may seem, no matter how the world may seem, all the darkness that we see, 
We need to hold fast to the hope, to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because he who promised is faithful. Our hope isn't based on a set of circumstances. Our hope isn't based on, on our emotions. Our hope isn't based on our opinions. Our hope is based on a much larger foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ, the perfect gift. This week, and I know I usually conclude uh, the well, I try to at least with an application. Okay, I usually say, okay, like, here's something you can do this week. I don't have an application for you this week. And I'll tell you why. This week, I want no practical steps for anyone here. What I truly want is not for you to just hear some words that, that I've said up here for the last whatever, how many minutes this has been. I want you to spend some time to just reflect on the beauty of God. This week, as we are approaching, again, and somebody made the joke, like we, we celebrate Christmas twice, right? The 25th was yesterday, and, and we have, you know, the, the Feast of Nativity coming up on January 6th. We have time to enjoy the Christmas season even more, okay? What I want for you, what I want for everyone here, reflect on the beauty of God, on the beauty of the perfect gift. Go through this criteria again. And I know I, I joked around in the beginning and, and said some stuff, but truly go this, through this criteria again, how Jesus Christ is the perfect reflection of God the Father. Go through the idea that he meets every need. I took one and I said he enlightens us and he continues to enlighten us. Think through all the needs that God meets in our lives. And most of all, how he is timeless and so are his promises. How he is faithful. If I have like a New Year's like wish for all of you is to spend the rest of this week, especially really focused on that, spending time by yourselves, but maybe also with your families gathering around and really exploring how Jesus Christ is the perfect gift for us all. We spend a ton of time and a ton of money figuring and doing a bunch of useless research about finding that perfect gift when really we've had it all along. Okay. So what I want for all of us to, to do this week is to just simply contemplate on how Jesus Christ is the perfect gift using the criteria that was here or anything else. Um, and truly let us like, like settle and meditate on that um, this week. And then next week we'll talk about our response. Next week we'll have some application. But I didn't really want to, to, to jip you from that experience. I want this to be on everyone here in every household. Everyone, you know, either on your own or with family or with a friend or whoever, get together and truly reflect on Jesus Christ being the perfect gift. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we're so thankful. Um, how lucky are we, Lord, that, that you continue to, to be with us. How lucky are we, Lord, that, that you continue to never give up on us, that you will never abandon us. How lucky are we, Lord, that you're a perfect reflection of God the Father and you teach us all about how you have always cared for us, even before we were born, that you love us all, collectively, but also personally and intimately, uniquely. Lord, we thank you so much for, for the perfect gift that you have given to us, Lord, in, in the coming down um, of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who was everything that, that we needed and even more than what we even knew we needed, Lord. Allow us, Lord, to live in his presence to contemplate on the mystery of, of his incarnation and his coming down and being with us, to truly understand, Lord, how precious this gift truly is. Not just a time of, of um, meaningless celebration, but a time to truly reflect on who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, allow us to always believe and to, 
to truly, Lord, to, to abide in your presence, to abide in your light, and to understand that your promises are forever true, that they're forever true, Lord, that you're never going to leave us and that we're always with you. As long as we stick with you, Lord, you're always with us and, and you always want to be with us, Lord, and you always want to guide us. Lord, we pray all these things through the intercessions of your Holy Mother of God, the Theotokos, St. Mary, St. Timothy, and St. Athanasius. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom of power. Thank you so much, everyone. Hope you guys have a great week. Um, and uh, see you guys all next week. Go in peace. May the peace of God be with you all. Amen.